Welcome to The Five Things. It's This Week in Social. As you know, each week we dig into five topics in social media and share with you only the best parts of what we uncover so that hopefully you can say, somebody out there gets me. The usual suspects are here. Amanda Davis. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Joey. Welcome back to New York. Thanks. And Tommy Boyce is here. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Joey. I'm Joey Scarillo, and here are the five things. First up, Amanda tells us about Meta, who launched Reels globally, and then Tommy sticks with Meta, who published their 2022 Evolving Trends Report. I can't wait to hear about that. Then third, Amanda jumps over to Instagram Stories, who added likes. Tommy explains the new partnership between Snapchat and Ticketmaster. And finally, Amanda breaks down Twitch, adding new incentives for creators. All right, team, let's get right to it. Amanda, tell us about Meta, who launched Reels in Facebook globally and added some new features. So Meta decided to come really hard after TikTok even further by expanding its Reels video functionality beyond Instagram and into the Facebook platform. This will essentially add access to Reels to a whole nother app. It's a function that's already started to cross between Facebook and Instagram in some countries, but this will now be able to be experienced by over 150 countries versus Instagram's 50 countries, which is a big deal. Facebook Reels will work the same as we know on Instagram. You can remix videos, you can save drafts, and you can clip and edit videos the way that you'd like with music. And they're also adding some new ad options, one being a semi-transparent overlay at the bottom of the reel and another being a sticker that a creator can add to their video. They're definitely trying to double down on their short form video or at least their shorter form video and see how many places they can have this pop up and have consumers interact with it. They'll roll these out on Facebook, you know, in the regular feed as well as in the stories feed and in the watch tab. Net-net, we're going to be seeing these reels, whether it's Instagram reel or Facebook reel, in lots of different locations on both of these platforms now. That's super exciting. Whenever these apps go global, I always sort of imagine that it's like one button and it's like, this is the global button and now we are everywhere. So Tommy, I'm just curious, when we think about these features going global, what do you think that means for brands? Does that open the door for more brands around the world to get involved with Reels? Yeah, I think it definitely does. I think that on top of the new ad options with the transparent and also the sticker, I think there's a whole new just ballpark to play in. I mean, Instagram being only 50 countries sounds a little deceptively small. When you look at Facebook, it's global reach, the fact that it's everywhere. It's its own cell phone service at this point. I think that it just means we have so much more room to play in, people to reach. And I think brands now have the ability just to reach for the stars and find people and audiences and places, literally just because Instagram has small reach comparatively, we're not able to before. So I think it's a great new time for brands to experience and experiment with short form content. I'll also add too that I do think there is still a large audience that feels maybe not as relevant to TikTok, especially as they age up as they do on Facebook. So I think this will be adopted pretty widely. And we'll also see a, a nuance of the kinds of video content that comes through in short form content on Facebook versus something that we would see on Instagram versus something that we would see on TikTok. And I think that while those demographics are still slightly different, I think it will actually impact what we see there. Yeah. So let's stick with Meta and talk about their evolving trends report. Tommy, why don't you get into that for us? Yeah. So Meta has just published an extensive 2022 trends report that combined original research and forecasts with insights grounded in analysis of social media conversations and behavioral signals. The report gives an overview of evolving conversation trend shifts and themes. The report mentions 20 themes, including gender evolution, historical reckoning, 
collective creativity, and more. But there are four main ideas we want to highlight. Diversity, identity, the way people discuss their identity and practice authenticity and self-expression online. Relationships renegotiated. People online are exploring flexibility and relationships and figuring out new ways to connect. Greater expectations. People are redefining what success means, whether it's reappraising the importance of college or a job path or just career goals in general. And expanding values. Value systems and morals don't just apply to how you treat others, but the companies you engage with and the way you shop. For some, shopping sustainably is an act of self-preservation. So that's what expanding values means in this case. And I think this report is really great. I definitely recommend checking it out if you have the time. It is 57 pages, so you do have to actually make a little time, but it feels true to what I've been seeing online. I think COVID obviously was... I mean, it was certainly a vibe shift to bring up the phrase I can't escape on Twitter. And I think its repercussions have certainly caused people to reconsider their identity and the way they relate to other people and how they engage online and with brands and with companies. And I'm always a little suspicious of trend reports or predictions, but this one to me holds true. And I think it will be important for brands and marketers to understand, especially the four main themes when trying to make content that people will relate to or appreciate. If you're making things the same way you're making it pre-COVID, I think it almost certainly fall on deaf ears. So that's kind of the main takeaway, I think, from this report. That's great, Tommy. Amanda, what jumped out to you in this report? There was quite a bit here. Just curious, what was interesting for you? I would have to say, and I'm sure you guys probably saw this coming, the idea of what they're calling crypto inclusion. There's a lot that they write about it, but what I will say and I can agree with is this idea of digital goods, use of the blockchain and understanding how some of that technology is going to intersect with the way that we socialize, not just the way that we interact with a a brand or a good physically, but in the way that we actually connect with other people online. And I think that's something that we talk about a lot and it kind of seeps into our conversations. And I'm interested to see, you know, what that looks like, especially from Meta's perspective, knowing that they have such an investment in the metaverse and how that that can overlap with what we can call social media. Yeah, that's so exciting. And I'm sure we could do an entire podcast on just the the crypto of it all. But let's jump over to Instagram stories. This is probably the biggest story of the week for me personally. Amanda, tell us about what new feature Instagram stories added. So this is, I guess, interesting. Instagram adds a feature where you can respond to a user's story by liking the post the same way that you would like a post on the mainline feed. But your like will not become public and there won't be a public like count to anyone other than the poster. So it's a new metric, it's a new way of interacting. And I think it's quite simple. Adam Masseri mentioned that this is basically a feature that they want so that people can express themselves and support each other without clogging up the DM box a little bit. So, you know, I think that when we think about how Instagram DMs are used, they are used pretty commonly as as messaging apps almost. So I think that this is almost a move to protect the cleanliness, usefulness, functionality of the DM inbox without making it get a little bit overwhelmed with story reacts and things that might not be a conversation per se. Tommy, is this uh, a feature you think you'll use? Is this something you've been waiting for? I was thinking about that. I I think so. I love responding to stories. It's my favorite pastime. Just the little, you know, the little heart eyes or the crying emoji, what have you. And I think talking to people on Instagram, like there are people I talk to solely on Instagram. And I think it would kind of distract from the clutter. Like I don't want to hard eyes every single picture a friend has just because I actually want to talk to them. But giving a little like being like, hey, I see you. I see that outfit today would probably make it a lot cleaner and a lot easier to actually. I mean, Instagram is prioritizing messaging, as we said before. I think this goes away to just cleaning it up and decluttering. 
and making it so that people actually have conversations about things that maybe not matter, but things that are more pertinent than just reacting the same way over and over. So I think I actually will use this. I'm excited to see if other people adopt this too, um, who are not so Instagram story savvy. I, the thing that I like most about this is that it's not public. There's no like count. There's no, there's nothing that, you know, if Tommy, if you liked Amanda's story, there's no way I would know that. And this is a bit of a throwback, but it kind of reminds me, Amanda, you might remember this, Facebook pokes. Do you remember poking somebody on Facebook? Like way back in the day, it was just like a little, little nudge to say hi. Okay. All right. I'm sure you do, but I just, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a throwback. Um, But it kind of reminds me of that. I don't know why it just has that kind of has that like, hello vibe to it. What do you guys think? I would say the value in it lies also in the fact that it almost doesn't prompt a response at all, which to Tommy's point, when you react through the, you know, six or eight emojis that show up as original reacts, or to your point, Joey, you poke someone, you're supposed to poke them back. There's like this idea with this like feature that like you really don't have to do anything. You don't have to respond. And I'm sure that what Instagram was seeing was a lot of people using those react emojis and then the person liking that or not really interacting with it, just kind of acknowledging it. So this kind of takes the onus off of needing to be like, do I say something back? Do I have a conversation? Do we talk about something now? And I think especially for brands too, there's a lot of users that don't necessarily want to have a conversation with a brand or, or a community manager behind a brand, but maybe they want to support a post or you know say that they value or appreciate the message. So I think, especially from a brand sense, this might be even more valuable than from a normal consumer sense in that it's a way of audience engagement that doesn't require too much work on the consumer's end. The endless cycle of, of liking back and forth and what's the etiquette? Oh my gosh, I know that so well. Okay, let's jump over to Snapchat and talk about this, Tommy. This is very interesting. Snapchat and Ticketmaster announce a partnership. Snapchat is partnering with Ticketmaster to launch a new way for users to discover live entertainment events within the Snap Map. This new feature will be accessible through a new in-app mini. For context, Snap Minis are a third-party program that live inside Snapchat's chat section. The new Ticketmaster Mini matches users with events they might be interested in based on their preferences. And preferences will be decided based on a survey that users take that gauges their interest in musical listening habits. The app will then display suggested upcoming shows based on your preferences that you can swipe left and right to browse through like Tinder. The company like objectively said this. They said they see this as a reimagined dating app that pairs users with interesting events. If you find something you're interested in, you can see if your friends have matched with the same events. You can also invite your friends to the event and start a guest list via chat. Users also have the option to post the event to their story to see if others are interested in joining. And once you've decided on an event, you'll be redirected to Ticketmaster's website to purchase tickets. I think this is super cool. There's so much jam-packed in that one paragraph. Like literally this club is everything. Dating app mechanics, user-guided preferences, interactivity with friends, sharing the event on your profile. To me, this seems like just a total grab bag of engagement and new ways to use the platform. I couldn't find out if Snap got a part of the profits or revenue from tickets that came through links people went through through the app. But either way, I think that this is totally in line with both events that Snap has already done in the past, like the Bitmoji, JLo concert, but also with what other platforms are trying to do. Bridge the gap between the digital and real worlds, not just like in a, a metaverse way, but in a way that people make the app part of the way in which they navigate the physical worlds, and in this case, by concert tickets. So I think this is a really cool and really unexpected way to use Snapchat. It reminds me of how WeChat, we talked about this earlier, you can literally, you know, pay off a car loan through WeChat. This is, I think, the real first American extension of this kind of thing I've seen on a social platform like Snapchat. So I think it's really exciting. Yeah, this is super awesome. I think 
Snapchat's really seems to be making uh, big strides in the partnership realm. Curious, Amanda, what you think this means for brands that can sort of bridge that divide between the the metaverse and the real world IRL events. I think this is brilliant. And I think it's just, to Tommy's point, it does so many things for the users and, and for the behavior on the app. And I think to your question, Joey, when we think about the experiences and the events and the offerings that brands can provide to users and the way that you reach them, these kinds of things that solve barriers and solve problems will help them get to that. You know, I think, Tommy, what you were describing with the matching and seeing if your friends match, it's that dilemma that most people have where you see something you want to go to. You want to text your friend group. You want to, do I buy two tickets? Do I know who I'm going to go with? Am I going to go by myself? That problem being kind of pushed away and giving a solution for how you kind of match with someone who already wants to go to an event is a place where brands can really reach that audience very specifically and very directly and offer them an experience or again, an event or a concert or whatever it may be that takes away, you know, the barriers and the struggles of why someone wouldn't go to an event otherwise. So I think this pretty much is an all inclusive package that brands can kind of jump into and start offering experiences direct to their consumers. It's great. Good on you, Snapchat. All right, let's bring it home here. Amanda, tell us about Twitch and their new incentives for creators. All right. So Twitch has launched a new ads incentive program for streamers on the platform that essentially helps them organize and plan how their streaming schedule will kind of operate with their ad income. It's a little bit nuanced, but it, it provides a preset payout for a certain amount of hours that they stream and they can opt into the ads that will run during that time. Its main goal is really to offer support in planning and scheduling their streaming time. And also it gives them incentives for commitments to ads and the amount of times that they want to stream. I think this is really interesting because streaming have had a really long road learning how to monetize, how to work with brands, how to uh, earn an actual income. And this tool is kind of intended to work the way that, you know, a, a gig work tool like Uber or Instacart does, where it actually helps you plan in advance for your earnings, understand how your time will kind of ladder up to pay you out in advance. I think that's really valuable for creators, especially streamers who are trying to make a salary, make a full-time job out of their time spent creating content. And this gives them a better understanding of how they can plan ahead. I see programs like this being replicated by other influencer-led platforms that help them, again, create a career out of this path and out of the content they're creating and puts it a little bit more in their hands to own and manage how that works with their lifestyle. Tommy, do you think creators will embrace these new features? I do. I think we talked about it earlier with the Ludwig of it all, how he left because he wasn't really feeling supported by Twitch. I think this is a great move by Twitch to really just be there for the creators who spend really countless hours on their website, making content for bringing people to it. And I think that giving people incentive to already do the work they've been doing, just keep streaming and be supported and be able to monetize more effectively through it. I think creators will definitely use this. I think it's a good step forward for the company in a way that has kind of led its users and creators down in the past. I think people will definitely adopt this new ad incentive. Yeah, I think it's great, right? Anything, anything to get more money to the creators. Okay, friends, well, that does it for us. If you don't already, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Share this with your friends, family, client, or coworkers. We want more ears listening to us. If you have questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, send them over to podcasts at gray.com and me or maybe even Tommy will send you a nice response. 
Uh, again, I want to thank Tommy and Amanda for joining us. And thanks to Danielle and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. Thank you, dear listener. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.